Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're talking about people who have the wrong attitude. Now, in this sermon, I'm not talking necessarily about having a bad attitude. You can tell when you have a bad attitude. You can definitely tell when other people have a bad attitude. A bad attitude is very often uh, recognized by us. But what is much harder to detect in our lives is not necessarily a bad attitude, but a selfish attitude. And Philippians chapter 2 helps us identify times, seasons, that selfishness creeps into our life. So today we're talking about how a Christian can be plugged into church, you can read your Bible, you can love the Lord, you can have daily devotions, you can do all of that, but still underlying you can have a selfish attitude. And in all of our spiritual growth, and that's our focus through this series, is the next steps of spiritual growth. Well, what I don't want to have happen is to have this love for God and this love for His Word and yet be held back because of a selfish attitude. So let's take the light of God's Word today. Let's shine it into our hearts, into our lives, and let's ask the Lord to reveal what is not pleasing to Him within us, and let's take the remedy of God's Word and apply it today. Oh, how I hope today encourages you and challenges you in your walk with the Lord. If you enjoyed today's sermon or any of our sermons through Awaken to Grace, I hope you will send me just a little email telling me who you are, where you're listening from, and what God is doing in your life. I absolutely love to hear from our listeners. You can always email me at pastorchadroberts.com at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy today's sermon, Spiritual Maturity, Check Your Attitude. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2. The main point today is going to be spiritual maturity, check your attitude. And what I want to do is focus in the beginning here on Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13, and then we are going to back up, and then we're just going to walk down through this text. And today, I want to talk about what it means to have the right attitude spiritually. Now, let me, let me qualify this and say, I'm not talking today about a bad attitude. <laughs> I'm not talking about a poor or rotten or sour attitude. A bad attitude is quite easily recognized. People can tell when you have a bad attitude. Is that right or wrong? And if we're being honest, we can tell when we have a bad attitude. Is that right or wrong? You can sense it. You can recognize it. You know it. You, your attitude is bad. But what I want to talk today out of the Word of God is far more deceptive. Much harder to detect. I'm not talking about a rotten, sour, bad attitude. 
I'm going to talk today about how do you detect a selfish attitude. See, the fact is, is that you can be chosen in Christ for salvation. You can be in the word of God. You can begin to take the spiritual milk and the solid food. You can have daily devotions. You can come to church every single week and you can have all of the spiritual progress, but then be hindered by a selfish attitude. We are all susceptible to it. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know. It doesn't matter how many Christian songs you sing. Every one of us is susceptible to a selfish attitude. But scripture gives us the remedy. Scripture tells us exactly what to do. And today I want to share with you the remedy to my bad attitude, my selfish attitude, and the remedy to yours. Now, If you follow, again, the logic, we're going to see how if we're chosen for salvation, if we are growing up into salvation, then how do we do Philippians 2, 12? How do we work out our salvation? Notice the last phrase of verse 12 with me. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let's be careful. We've explained this over the last several Sundays. You cannot work for salvation. This is in absolutely no way saying that you should work for salvation. No, it says work out your own salvation. The actual word picture here in the original language in the Greek, it actually means to dig out or to explore a gold mine. Now, imagine, what if you found out that I own a gold mine. What if you found out that somewhere out west, Colorado or somewhere, I had inherited a gold mine and you came up to me and you said, Pastor Chad, how fascinating. What what do you do with your gold mine? (laughs) Imagine that I said something to you like, well, to be honest, I don't do a lot with it. You would say, why? There's gold in it. Well, I know, but you know, I'm pretty busy with my job. I work pretty hard. I don't really have the time. I stay, you don't realize how busy I stay. Do you know how much gold is right now per ounce? Gold is about $1,200 per ounce. I don't care how much money you make. You find gold, it's going to be worth it. And what if I said, ah, you know, the machinery's pretty expensive, you know. It's just complicated. It takes a lot to mine for gold, and I just, you know, I'm just not in the season of life that I'm, that I'm doing it. You would say, Chad, you have lost your mind. You're crazy. Why are you not digging in that gold mine? And this is exactly what Paul is telling believers. You literally have a gold mine of opportunity, of of scripture, of promises out of the word of God. But yet so many of us, we're just busy working our jobs. We're distracted in life. We have an attitude of, oh, it's so complicated. I, I just don't understand all of it. Paul is saying, friends, no, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do the hard work. Dig for gold. 
It was R.A. Torrey who said many, many decades ago, he said, there are two types of people that study the Bible. There are those who rake for leaves and there are those who dig for gold. Which are you? Do you rake for leaves? Do you barely scratch the surface? Or do you dig in? And do you discover the precious gold that is there in Scripture? He says, work out your own salvation. If you are chosen in God for salvation, if you are growing up into salvation, then how is it that we work out our own salvation? And then look at the next verse. I love this, verse 13. Uh, I've noticed in scripture, if if it commands me to do something and I actually get it right, just in case I begin to get puffed up with pride just in case I began to feel like I've got it all together no you know what scripture does it takes my eyes off of me and puts them on God it reminds me it's not God's strength it's not my strength it's God's strength it's not my ability it's God's ability and if you get this right and you begin to work out your own salvation in the fear and trembling, don't you dare think it's you. No, look at the next verse. For it is God that works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Praise God. Then the next verse is quite difficult. Therefore, here's what he's saying. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. What a difficult phrase. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Next time your spouse grumbles, quote that verse to him. Well, probably wouldn't help. I wouldn't do that. Just just pray for him. (laughs) Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, How do we work out our own salvation? Now remember today, I'm not talking about a sour, ugly, bad attitude. We can get those, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's easy to see. I'm talking about what is hard to detect. I'm talking today about a selfish, self-absorbed attitude. Now go with me to verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's just unpack this a little. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy. Oh, let's just park here for one second. You know, I am so excited because we're getting ready at the first of the year to to discover and unpack our spiritual gifts. Just like this is the week of Christmas and all kinds of Christmas gifts will be opened and unwrapped. You know what most people won't do? They won't leave gifts unwrapped under the tree. It won't turn into January, February, March, and there's still gifts left unwrapped. No, you'll open gifts. But yet if we look today across the room and we saw what gifts are inside of us, how many unopened, unwrapped gifts of God lie within us that we've never unwrapped before? 
And I'm afraid that in our current culture of the church, the way the church is today in in our generation, in our world, I'm afraid that it may appear that if you don't have some type of talent, you can't be used of God. If you're not talented to sing or talented as a musician or talented to speak or talented to communicate or talented to teach, it may appear that you don't have anything to offer. But friends, don't let Satan tell you that. You may be listening today and you may feel like the least. You may feel like you have nothing to bring to the table, nothing to offer to God or to his kingdom because you're not talented in this way or in that way. But no, my friends, let me tell you what God truly values. Watch the logic of scripture. If there is any encouragement in Christ, oh, I love that phrase. Let me tell you, do you you know one of the ways, one of the greatest, one of the most significant, one of the strongest ways that God can use your life, you become an encourager. If, If some of you would say, I'm going to commit to become an encourager in life, oh, how God would use you in many circumstances, all kinds of various situations with all kinds of different people. If you became an encourager, be amazing what God would do through you. Don't let Satan tell you that because you don't have a, a, a speaking talent or singing talent or whatever that God can't use you. No, you become an encourager, God will use you mightily. It was Kathy Truett, the founder of Chick-fil-A. God bless him, amen. That's the Lord's chicken right there, right? <laughs> it is anointed, amen. I had Chick-fil-A last night, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Chick, the, the owner, uh, the founder, uh, Kathy Truitt, he passed away some years ago, but he was a godly, godly man. Kathy Truitt would often say, do you know how you can tell if someone needs encouragement? If they have a pulse. <laughs> In other words, if they're living and breathing, I guarantee you, they need some type of encouragement. And let me tell you, if some of you would commit to becoming an encourager in Christ. The cards that you write, the emails that you send, the phone calls that you make, the lunch that you take people to, the dinners that you host in your home, the things you say to the server or to the waitress, the things you say to the clerk checking you out. If you would become an encourager, God would use you mightily. The next time you go shop somewhere and somebody's ringing you up, pray and say, Lord, what would you have me say to them? The next time you go out to eat and someone brings you your food, say, Lord, what would you have me say to them? God will use you in that way. Do you know what it means when you encourage someone? Think about the word. In Courage. You know what you do? You give courage to people's hearts. When someone's struggling and they feel like God has abandoned them or they feel like God's not paying attention to them or they feel like, they, like, like prayer's not being heard and no, you encourage them, you know what you're doing? You're giving them courage to go forward. You're giving them courage to go on in Jesus' name. You're giving them courage to not throw in the towel. You're giving them courage to walk by faith. What a special, special thing. 
And let me tell you, you don't have to be uber talented to do that. No, 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 no. All you got to do is be sensitive to the Lord and he'll use you in mighty ways. Now notice it says encouragement, not just standard encouragement. No, encouragement in what? Christ. I heard a pastor say one time and I've never forgotten it. Everything a believer touches should be stained with blood. You know what he means by that? Every conversation you have should have the touch of God on it. Every card you send should have the touch of God. Every email you send should have the touch of God. Everything we touch should be stained with the blood of Christ. Praise God. And then notice he says comfort from love. Friends, do you have any idea how many people need comfort right now in this hour that we're living in? You know how many people need to feel the love of God right now, today? I praise God for our care team. I praise God for those who are willing to cook a meal. I praise God for those who are willing to deliver meals and take blankets and and do things like that to the glory of God. I thank God for Jeannie and her vision and Mandy and her vision and Dwayne and Anna and these care bags that went to the cancer center and the care bags that went to the police departments. Friends, let me tell you something. There is so much comfort for Christians to give right now. There's so much love for us to share right now. The Lord is, well, I won't say it right now. We'll, we'll talk about it at a later time. I'm still praying about a couple of things. Participation in the Spirit. I love that phrase. See, I can can get involved in the work of God. I can get engaged in the things that God is doing by becoming an encourager in Christ, by offering comfort of love. But listen to this, participation in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Participation in the Spirit. What's that mean? I think it means a number of things. I think when you join a team in the church and you actually begin to serve alongside of others, you're participating in the Spirit. When you get involved in community projects like we have going, so many of you gave toward Bless the Blue, so many of you have cooked meals, and so many of you have done things like that, you are participating in the Spirit. So many of you come to prayer meeting and you take time out of your week and you come and you pray on behalf of the needs of others. What are you doing? You're participating in the spirit. And let me tell you, when a church has all of this going, when a church has all of these things happening, God puts his hand upon us. And then notice what he says. Any affection, any sympathy. Oh, friends, let me tell you, This world needs to feel the love of Christ from us. And when all of these things are working in a church, notice what Paul says. He says, complete my joy. And now, watch what he's going to say. By having the same mind, the same love, being in full accord, and again he's going to say, being in the same mind. Twice he's going to talk about, what he's talking about is attitude. Having the same attitude. 
It's exactly what he means in a couple of verses down when he says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, let this attitude be yours that was Christ. Having the same attitude, the same love, the same full accord, and again, having the same mind, the same attitude. Oh, I love this. You know, as a father, nothing pleases me more than when I hear all four of my kids in a room together cackling and laughing and playing. And nothing gets under my skin more than when I hear them fighting. You know, I believe the Lord is the same way as our Father. Nothing pleases Him more than when a church is in unity. Nothing pleases Him more than when a church is in one accord. And you know what I believe that the Lord is saying here? You really want to get on the same page as a congregation? You really want to be of the same attitude as a church? You want to have the same love as a church? Then what do you do? You have encouragement in Christ. You have comfort from love. You have participation in the Spirit. You have affections and sympathy. That will put a church on the same page. I don't know how many of you have ever been a part of a church that was full of gossiping, full of backbiting, full of rivalry and conceit and self-ambition. Let me tell you, no one wants to join a family where all the kids do is fight, right? And there isn't anything that stinks more than a church that's full of fighting. And I want to say this carefully. God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to say this carefully. I don't want to say this in pride in any way, but I want to say it clearly. And I want to say it as crystal clear as I can. At this church, we do not tolerate gossiping and divisions and contentions and rivalries. That's not to say from time to time that it doesn't come up because we're full of humans, right? And we as humans are quite flawed. But when we know of it and when it's come to our attention, we squash it with the word of God. Gossiping is not welcomed in this church. Contention is not welcomed here. Self-ambition is not welcomed here. I had a brother not... Uh, a while ago, and this brother was stirring up trouble and causing all kinds of divisions and issues. And I told that brother as clear as I could, brother, there's six exits in this building. You need to pick one and you need to go. It's not welcome. It's not welcome. A couple who had caused all kinds of damage came up to a pastor one time. Had all kind, you, you know, the root word of, of, of gossiping in the tongue it has to do with Diablo, Satan's work. You can do more of Satan's work with the tongue than any of us realize. A couple came up to a pastor one time who was gossiping, causing all kinds of problems, and the, the woman said, Pastor, I just want you to know we're praying about leaving this church. The pastor looked at him and said, well, what a coincidence. I've been praying you'll leave too. <laughs> We're in agreement. A woman came to Warren Wearsby one time and said, pastor, I'm going to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said, lady, our altars aren't big enough. There's no room for it. There's no room for it. 
Now, now let's just address this, being on the same mind, having the same attitude. Now listen, this is just a fact, brothers, sisters. Just because you're saved, just because you have the Holy Spirit within you, just because you live by the word of God, that doesn't mean you're going to like everybody. You know that? That doesn't mean that everyone that you serve on a team with or everyone that you attend church with or do an event with or minister with, that doesn't mean you're going to like everybody. Personalities clash. Ideas clash. You can't get along with everybody. But see, this is why Paul writes to the church and he says, bear one another. Isn't that a fascinating phrase? You realize there are some people that you just have to bear because your personalities are different. Your way of looking at things are different. But let, let 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 me show you the answer to this. Let's say that right now you're serving with somebody on a team or you're, you know, someone's in the church that they just irritate you. They just get under your skin. They get on your nerves. Let me, let me tell you what you do with those people. You begin to pray for them. The old saying is very true. You don't pray for the people that you gossip about. And you don't gossip about the people that you pray for. And if you would take those people that they just irritate you a little bit, you know, they get underneath your skin, they aggravate your nerves or whatever. And if you would take those people and say, God, I want to see them the way that you see them. I want to see the potential in them that you see the potential in them. And God, I want to begin to get a burden for them and help me to pray for them as I ought. You know what's going to begin to come out of you? Encouragement in Christ. Comfort from love. Participation in the spirit. Affections and sympathies. And then you're going to be of the same mind. You're going to have the same love. You're going to be in full accord. And you're going to have the right attitude. Praise God. So then notice what he says next. Let nothing be done out of self-ambition or rivalry or conceit. Don't let anything be done out of selfish ambition. But with humility, count others more significant than yourself. How fascinating. Now again, I'm not talking about a sour, ugly attitude. I'm talking about a selfish attitude. Count others more significant than yourself. With humility, consider others more significant. That person that gets on your nerves, what if you began to commit to counting them more significant than you? What if you began to serve them? What if that coworker who just irritates you to no end, what if you go to work tomorrow and say, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything that I can do to make your day easier? With humility, you count others more significant than you. Do you know when I am the most irritable? Do you know when I'm the most touchy? You know when I'm the most cranky? Is when I'm the most selfish. And let me tell you, my friends... 
I spend a lot of time with God. I spend a lot of time in the Word. But let me tell you what's so easy to rise up in me. Selfishness. I just finished a book yesterday that changed my life. Many of you have probably read it. It's a classic. It's been out since 1971. I just finished reading. When I say reading, listening to the audio version. I just finished The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. If you have never read The Hiding Place, I'm telling you it is a treasure of treasures. Corey Ten Boom was about 50 years old when the Nazis took over Holland. Her father, Casper, was 84 years old. Her sister, Betsy, was about 57 years old. Her brother, Willem, was a bit older than her, and they had a sister, Nolly. And as a family, they hid Jews while they were being hunted down like animals. They rescued so many Jews. Oh, God used them so mightily. But they were discovered. They were arrested. They were sent to concentration camps. Betsy and Corey Ten Boone was put into a box cart after spending months in a concentration camp in Holland. They were put into a box cart and carried by train into Germany, their worst fear. They were taken to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., which I had the privilege of going a few times, at least twice, they actually have a couple of box carts set up that you can walk into that were used to transport Jews. It's eerie. Corey Ten Boone said that they put, they packed 30 women into that box cart, and it was shoulder to shoulder. Before they were done, they had 80 women in that cart. She said women would faint and just stand there because no room to fall. They finally figured out a system where they would sit. They were able to get down on the ground and just cross legs over each other. And for four days, they were in that cart with no sanitation, They would stop once a day for water and they'd be handed a bucket of water but those in the front would get it all and they never got water for four and a half days. Sanitation, she said, the smell was so foul. You were just sick the whole time. The book was very life-changing. While she and Betsy were in this concentration camp at Ravensbrück in Germany, Betsy was dying She told Corey, she said, you must tell our story. The world has to hear our story. And you know what her story was? Her story, she said, is that in the deepest of pits, Christ is there deeper still. Through a clerical error, Betsy died in the concentration camp, but through a clerical error, Corey Ten Boone was released. And one week later, every woman was marched to the gas chamber. In God's providence, he spared her. 
at Ravensbrook, 96,000 women died. But Betsy took many through the, through the doorway of heaven with her because they weren't selfish. Corey Ten Boone in this writing shared how selfishness would come to her in a hundred different ways. She said that she figured out that when they would all line up for roll call, which took hours because there were thousands upon thousands of women there, and they would line up in the dead of winter with snow falling. And Corey Ten Boone said that she figured out that if she could wiggle her way to the middle, it would shield her from the wind. And the Lord would convict her about selfishness. And she would reason and say, but God, I'm doing your work here and I need to stay healthy. But no, it's selfishness. She would reason and say, the women from Poland, it's much colder. They can handle the wind. I can't. No, selfishness. She would hide a few crumbs to eat at night when no one was looking. And the Lord said, no, it's selfishness. Friends, if there were selfishness, in a concentration camp like that for Corey Ten Boom, what should you and I be on the lookout for in our lives? How many hundreds of ways does selfishness creep in into our daily spiritual walk? And this is why you and I need this remedy so desperately bad that do nothing out of selfish ambition, do nothing out of conceit, but with humility, count others more significant than yourself. So that person at work that irritates you, that person on the ministry team that irritates you, that person you go to church with that irritates you, what would happen if you humbled yourself and began to serve them and began to count them and their needs more significant than yours? Some of you are in very difficult home lives. Some of you deal with ex husbands and ex-wives and you deal with step-parents and you deal with step-children and some of you are in very difficult situations but what would happen if you began to count them more significant than yourself some of you are not treated fairly some of you are dumped on some of you are taken advantage of but what would happen if you turned the tables on the devil and you began to count them more significant than you? And then, just like the Bible always does, it puts our eyes on Jesus. Just in case you think you can't do that. Just in case you think what I'm proposing is absolutely impossible as well as preposterous. The Bible says, look at him who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did Jesus do? But he emptied himself coming in the form of a servant in the likeness of man. He humbled himself 
to the point of obedience, even the death of the cross. See, what I want you to understand today is if the Bible tells you, and if the Bible tells me, humble yourself with humility, count others more significant than you. The Bible is not asking us to do something that Christ cannot empower us to do. For Christ did it himself. Make the link. We are with humility to count others more significant. And how did Christ come in the form of a servant in the likeness of man? He humbled himself. And let me tell you, my friends, God will share with you his great humility and the things that feel impossible. And the things that you think you can't do. No, you walk under the humility of God. You walk in the power of God. You walk in the authority of God's word. And no, you'll find it works. And then what will begin to come out of you is not pride, is not selfish ambition, is not conceit and arrogance and self-centeredness. No, what will come out of you is encouragement in Christ, comfort of love, participation of the Spirit, affections and sympathies. You'll have the same mind, you have the same love, you'll be in full accord, and you'll have the right attitude in your life. And then, because you're chosen for salvation, because you're growing up into salvation, you will begin to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you'll come to this place where in all of your spiritual progress, Satan will not be able to hinder you. That's where I want to be. I want to follow the example of Christ. And what is the example of Christ? Is the fact that he wrapped himself in great humility and came to this earth. And he taught us how to count others more significant than ourselves. If you want to work out your salvation... And continue explosive growth in Christ. Begin to count to others more significant than yourself. Ask God to search you and try you and know your ways. Ask God to shine the light of his word to detect selfishness, self-centeredness. Begin to serve the people around you. Some of you right now your marriage is a bit tense. Some of you right now, you're just not in a great place. Let me tell you what to do. Begin to serve one another. Serve each other. Count your spouse more significant than you. Some of you work with irritating people. Some people work with you and you're the irritating person that We'll let the Lord show you that. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those that everybody's glad when they walk into a room. And then there are those who are glad, everybody's glad when they walk out of a room. Which are you?
You know what probably determines that? Whether people are glad when you walk into a room or they are glad when you walk out of a room. You know what probably determines it? Your attitude. And Jesus says, let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be yours. That was in Christ. That you're filled with humility. That you serve others. That you count others more significant than even yourself. Will you bow your heads with me today? I don't work with you. I don't live with you. I don't know if you struggle in this area, but I bet if you're like me, I bet selfishness shows itself in a hundred different ways. God, help me to see it. Oh, I can see my rotten attitude. People can see that from a mile away. But what we so often don't see is our selfishness. And God, what we don't want to do is love you with our whole hearts. Drink the milk of your word. Eat the solid food of your word. And then our attitude, get in the way. Oh, what a tragedy. No, God, we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We want this mind to be in us that was in Christ our Lord. So Jesus, today we choose humility. We choose it. Where there's pride, squash it in the name of the Lord. Where there's conceit, where there is selfishness, where there's unforgiveness, God, we let those things go in Jesus' name. The people in our lives that are the hardest to love, the people in our lives that are the hardest to get along with, the people in our lives that are irrational, hard-headed, the people who would take advantage of us, the people who would use us, the people who would never return kindness to us. Let us count them more significant than ourselves. Let this be the greatest Christmas that we've ever had. Not because of what we get, but because of what we give. Some of the greatest gifts. Hear me, church. I'm going to give you a word through the Holy Spirit right now. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying this crystal clear. For some of you, the greatest gifts you'll give this year, you'll not buy online. You'll not buy with a credit card. The greatest gifts will be humility, thankfulness, forgiveness, kindness. I can hear the Lord. He's speaking to somebody. 
There's an X. And they don't deserve your kindness. But the Lord's telling you to give it to them. They don't, they don't deserve your forgiveness. But the Lord is saying, give it to them. Don't try to follow God. Don't try to love His Word and feast on His Word and let the attitude get in the way. Don't grow in Christ and then be halted because there's an attitude of unforgiveness. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You did not deserve what Christ did for you. And my precious friend, they don't deserve what you're going to do for them. But that's why it's called grace. Why don't you make the greatest gift you give this year the grace of God? Count others more significant. And oh, how God will use you. And how the encouragement in Christ will come out of you. Comfort from love will come out of you. Participation in the Spirit will come out of you. Affections and sympathies will pour out of you. And you will glorify God better than the most talented person on the earth today. Lord, I love you so much. I love your word. I love its principles. I love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Give all of our families a wonderful Christmas this week. Thank you, God, for your inexpressible gift, Jesus Christ. In your name I pray.